One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number smart beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number limited edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. The following podcast contains content about stalking and sexual harassment that may be triggering or unsuitable for some listeners. Discretion is advised. Previously on Unraveled, The Stalker's Web. The internet was still the wild, wild west. And a cowboy with a black hat rode into town and his name was Jason. Jason Christopher Hughes is a menace. He's a stalker. He's psycho. He's changed his legal name. He changes states, locations, masking his internet ID. He's constantly taunting his victims, saying, you can't stop me. He told me, I'm going to blow up your life. The pursuit of Jason Christopher Hughes was handed off to the FBI after the car fire in 2013. In episode one, you heard how he waged a relentless campaign of cyber terror against Vanessa V, costing her a job and making her contemplate taking her own life. When the FBI took over, it was known that he had been living in Austin, Texas, up until his car was firebombed and his house was caught in the blaze. Before he disappeared, Jason handed over a list of quote-unquote suspects to police, people that he claimed had been stalking him. But Detective Spencer Chow soon learned that the people on the list were the real victims, and Jason was the stalker. A frighteningly prolific one. Vanessa V, who was first targeted by Jason in 2004, told us she was surprised to learn just how many people were on his list. She had known she wasn't Jason's only target, but the scope of his wrath was mind-blowing. Some of Jason's victims had suffered even longer than Vanessa had. Making it worse, many of them believed that they were alone in their misery, including a woman who had encountered him in the flesh. I spent the weekend with this guy and he's been trying to hurt me in some way ever since. At some point, he took some photos of me. There was like a, you know, a sort of an S&M type quality to it. And I've 
felt horrible about it and a lot of shame about it. I had thought that it was just me and it just seems like wherever I go, there he is. It's just very easy to harass someone online. That's Rachel Kay. She thought she was signing up for a fun weekend with an intriguing online acquaintance. 20 years later, that decision is still haunting her. He does have the ability to completely ruin your entire life. Once he's made up his mind, that's it. He puts you on this list and you are to be erased. He would make me pay. He's hurt people before. I deserve to die. He's one of the most dangerous people I've ever had to investigate. Just seems like wherever I go, there he is. From Discovery Plus, ID, and Joke Productions, this is Unraveled, The Stalker's Web, a six-part podcast investigating the story of one of the most prolific monsters to ever prowl the cyber world. And we'll see how the power that such a criminal has can lay waste to reputations, careers, relationships, and even lives. I'm Alexis Linkletter. And I'm Billy Jensen. The hunt for internet stalker Jason Christopher Hughes would loom as a huge challenge for the FBI. A skilled cyber criminal has a number of tools for hiding their identity and covering their tracks. But hovering over these challenges is the question that might provide another way in. Why? What triggers this guy into action? What might draw him out so he can be caught? One possible answer might lie in something Vanessa V. said to us in our last episode. I'll let you hear it again in her words. I was in a bad marriage and did not have the best parents, so I didn't have any support or coping, and that seemed to really interest him, kind of. That, to me, indicates that Jason would use specific targeting techniques when searching for victims. That's the thing about predators. They look for any possible weakness they think they can exploit in potential prey. If there's a way to know the kinds of people Jason Christopher Hughes targets and why, there might be a way to anticipate his next move, or even bait a trap. Is he drawn to a certain type of individual? Is there a demographic he thinks he could take advantage of? According to Rachel Kay, based on her personal experience, the answer is a decisive yes. I think some of it is like from my family of origin. There were a lot of mental health problems. I think I was like almost the perfect target because I've been appeasing people with mental illness my whole life. Like, hey, if I just go along with this, it'll be okay. And Jason knew that. Yeah. I feel like there was never a clear path of what I could even do about it, if anything. Like just one comment or one email can result in you know, your whole life, decades being impacted. Jason just left it all in ashes. Rachel Kay's story begins long before she met Jason Christopher Hughes. The seeds for her encounter with him were sown during her childhood. I think both my parents have some serious challenges in terms of their mental health. When I grew up, there was a lot of like, um, you know, emotional abuse. Neglect for sure in terms of like there was never any food uh, in the house. It was difficult. 
My mom was married a bunch of times. She was very um, active in her sex life, and so I think that I got a very unhealthy relationship to sex from that upbringing, which I, I believe caused, you know, quite a bit of promiscuity in my teens into my 20s and sort of looking for uh, approval through sex. When talking to Rachel Kay, you quickly realize how raw and honest she's willing to be, owning the difficulties of her past as part of her healing process. But her difficulties were just beginning when she relocated from the Northeast down to Austin, Texas after college in the mid-90s. I moved here in 96. When I was about 26, and, you know, it was some bad decisions. Like, I moved down here with a meth head, and it was not great. While trying to find herself, Rachel Kay met Sean and forged a relationship that would provide her some hope. Sean, he's a lovely human being. I like him very much. I had, like, giant dreadlocks and tattoos, and, like, when I met him, he was, like, wearing a necklace made out of human teeth. And, you know, like, he was just, like, my people, you know, when I met him. We ended up living together for a few years and got married and bought a house. I absolutely thought I was going to be with him forever. Unfortunately, it didn't work out. I, I just don't know that either of us really knew what you know, being in a a marriage was like, you know, in terms of a long-term commitment to monogamy or to financial security. It just kind of didn't work long-term. We separated in 2001 when the uh, marriage was starting to dissolve. I definitely turned to getting that sort of attention elsewhere and the internet is an easy place to do that. Just a reminder, the internet in 2001 was still a fledgling arena. Lots of strangers connecting, lots of oversharing without concern. And Rachel Kay found a site to do that, one we mentioned in our first episode. Well, I was mostly on LiveJournal at that point. LiveJournal is just a blog site, but like very extensive, like not just like here's what I had for lunch. I was writing about everything. I was writing about the problems I had in my marriage and my, you know, work issues, like any any issue that was on my mind was going into the journal. I was building friendships. Some of the friendships I built on LiveJournal are still like people that are in my life today. One budding friendship would prove to be especially intriguing to this admitted free spirit. It was with a man whose online name was Antisense. I thought he was really interesting, very smart. Um, interested in a lot of topics that I am not familiar with, like esoteric religions and psychedelic drugs. At that point, I knew him as Chris. I was like, oh, I'm really enjoying like getting to know this person. And I just needed that attention from somewhere. We took it like offline, you know, we took it into messaging, we took it into emails and it became more personal. And at some point it became romantic. So, um, were your messages uh, like of a sexual nature? Yes, yes. So you were sexting each other? Yeah, pretty much. He was in Seattle, so we started making this plan for me to go out there. And I remember it really clearly because it was right after 9-11 and it was weird to fly at that, like two weeks after 9-11. 
Jason paid for some of the ticket and he sent me a check, like an actual check in the mail. And it said Jason Christopher Hughes on it. So that was the first time I knew actually what his full name was. Um, I was nervous, but super excited, just like to have an adventure as a newly separated person. Um, I met Jason on the street in the college section of Seattle. And I knew like immediately that I had not made a good choice. There was just something about his body language that was sort of off-putting, but then he had paid for part of the ticket and I felt sort of committed to this experience. Even though I immediately had reservations, I went forward with it. We went back to his place. Um, he lived in a boarding house, which was pretty seedy, and his space was pretty off-putting as well. I'm like, oh, this place is kind of gross or whatever, but then I'm like, oh, that's so judgmental, you know? I don't know, like, it's so easy to dismiss and explain away the red flags just to like, you know, to avoid conflict. I just wanted to be appeasing and pleasing. And I was really interested in the adventure and sex is fun. And um, so we, you know, we jumped in bed and... Um, you jump in bed right away? Yeah. You got to his room? Yeah, yeah, pretty much. There was like a, you know, a sort of an S&M type quality to it. So it was, you know, it was an adventurous sexual experience. At some point, he took some photos of me, um, laying in bed and sort of, you know, half under the covers. It was fun. But as the excitement of the initial fantasy began to wear off, Rachel started to feel uneasy. As the weekend went, I f sort of felt less and less comfortable with him and, and um, I was, you know, I could really tell that like what it meant to me was definitely not what it meant to him. He definitely was looking for, you know, maybe a soulmate or a partner um, and thought that that was gonna be me. He was telling me that he loved me and sort of making longer term plans, you know, like w how we were gonna be together after and I wanted to not continue any type of relationship with him um, beyond the weekend. And then I think, you know, he's sensing that, so he's getting more sort of desperate and clingy, and I'm, I felt kind of more and more unsafe, like he was dangerous, and I did definitely feel like it could escalate to violence. I just didn't know. I didn't really know the guy. Rachel was right to be unnerved. All she wanted was a fun weekend. And this guy was displaying signs of a needy, insecure type who didn't want to let go. But she had no idea just how bad it would get. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. 
That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Before we continue with Rachel Kay's story, we need to rewind a bit as we introduce you to a man named Lincoln. Lincoln lived in the same boarding house as Jason Christopher Hughes, aka Antisense, and was one of the few people who spent any time with him. I didn't see him with a group of friends. Sometimes he would comment um, about his friends or about his online friends, but in terms of people that he would hang out with in person, it was pretty much mostly me. I was... 21, had just moved to Seattle from a small farm town in rural Alaska during the year 2000. I had moved into a boarding house and Jason was a fellow tenant there. It was a shithole. Um, it was very run down, very dirty. Each of us had our own individual bedrooms and then shared common spaces like kitchen and bathroom. So I was living up on the top floor and he was down in the basement. He was interesting. We would hang out and play backgammon and we talked a lot about fringe religion at the time. We shared that interest, which is not super common. But even within this friendship, Lincoln noticed some disturbing characteristics in Jason. He would talk a lot about his spiritual life. Um, including the fact that um, he believed he had a demon inside of him. He would talk about the demon kind of taking the driver's seat of his body, um, which was a pretty complex concept. We need to take a pause here to acknowledge this statement. The idea of an inner demon is something we'll discuss with a psychologist later. But saying that the demon took the driver's seat in his body indicates a level of danger that Rachel did not know about yet. But Jason was already dropping hints to Lincoln. He had 
commented casually before she arrived that he had like a hot piece of ass that was flying from Austin to see him so that they could get freaky over the weekend. He got pretty graphic about what that expectation was. They were going to be engaging in impact play for spankings. He brought her around to show her off right when she first arrived and I found her to be lovely. Um, I didn't really engage with her because before she had arrived, he'd been really plain about the fact that she was there for him and that I should keep my distance. Dehumanizing language, treating Rachel as property. These are the undercurrents Rachel would pick up on during her visit as Jason attempted to sweet talk her into a long-term relationship. Lincoln stood in stark contrast to that. The last day of her visit, he had told me that uh, he needed to go in to handle work. He asked me to keep Rachel company. As soon as I met Lincoln, I was like, you're great. And he was just so joyful and open and like completely opposite from Jason. We drove all over the city and we just had this like beautiful, like very joyful day, which was completely in, in, you know, juxtaposition to this like dour, shitty time I was having with this dude. With Jason, it just felt like it was, the tension was ratcheting. I definitely felt I was in fear for my safety. And so late at night, I just started gathering my stuff and I got up and left. I didn't really know where to go. It was the middle of the night in Seattle, and so I went and found Lincoln. And She's outside my door and just, like, ugly crying. She explained that he had gotten controlling and that when she pushed back on him, he exploded in rage. I just brought her in, sheltered her, and then she had her flight in the morning. I always say that he saved my life and I really I really do feel that way like he was you know just to a virtual stranger was like completely non-judgmental and I like waited till the sun came up and then sort of snuck out very early in the morning to get to the airport by the time I got to the airport I had like 50 messages from Jason and you know half of them were I love you, please come back. And the second half were, you know, F you. In Rachel's mind, she had just escaped a dangerous situation intact. But trouble was going to follow her home. A few days later, he was texting, trying to get me to talk to him about what happened. Um, And I, I didn't really want to. So I sent him an email that just said, look, I'm, I don't want to, have any future relationship with you. I don't want to have any future communication with you. And then right after that, he took the photos that he took of me and he put them together with an email that I had sent him. And the email that I sent him was very, it was before we had met and it was like very personal about my feelings about my marriage, that I deserved better than what I had. And, um, He took those together and my estranged husband got the email. At the time that I flew to Seattle to meet Jason, the option of reconciliation with my husband was definitely on the table. But the emotional content of the email was really, really hard for him because it was, you know, basically like I could do better. Um, I deserve better. That pretty much took like any 
reconciliation possibility off the table. Jason got to my husband and just left it all in ashes. Jason had just unleashed a devastating but familiar tactic of an abuser. If I can't have you, I'll make sure no one else will either. And Rachel's husband wasn't the only one to receive that email. He sent it to just everybody. My boss, all my coworkers, all my friends. He like revenge porned me to everyone in my life. It was horrible. But how did Jason gain access to Rachel's contacts? Here's Lincoln again, revealing a random and devastating coincidence. He had a friend at the same employer as Rachel K. And so he was able to get access to the employee directory in that way so that he could make sure that her boss got a copy of it. And was, what was his state of mind when he was telling you this? Gleeful. He was gleeful. Yeah, that's how I'd describe it. I did actually lose my job a few months later, and I don't know that it was direct. I can't say that it was directly caused by this, but it didn't help. You know, it didn't help that my coworkers and boss were get, getting, you know, naked photos of me or that I was like crying at my desk every day. Jason would learn of Rachel's job loss, and he sent her a message to twist the knife. I was laid off in, like, February of 2002. And he wrote to me that he was so, so happy to see you. He's so, so happy to see you broke, broken and down. I can but hope I had some small part in it. You are doomed. You had your chance and you blew it. As Jason continued his assault, Rachel began blaming herself. I did have a lot of feelings about it being my fault. I didn't call the police because I thought they couldn't do anything. It was just like, I, ma- I did this thing, I made this happen, I invited this into my life. With no faith in the authorities, Rachel turned to the one source of support she felt she had. The only other person she knew who also knew Jason. We continued to exchange email and instant message with her in Austin and myself in Seattle. Uh, a romance bloomed. So I moved to Austin to pursue a relationship with Rachel Kay. It was very shortly after I moved that he knew that I was in Austin and he knew that I was dating Rachel. How did he know you were dating Rachel? I have no idea. What was the first message that you got from him? Oh, uh, incoherent rage. He saw Rachel as his property and he even explicitly said that I stole his girl. Um, And that was, you know, what he was pissed about. Although Lincoln and Rachel's romance only lasted a couple of weeks, Jason sent a clear message. Anyone who dares associate with Rachel is a target. About a month after I moved there, he told me that he knew the streets that I was walking on. He named some of them and he threatened to throw hydrochloric acid in my face. One day I was going to be walking down the street and I would turn around and I wouldn't see it coming. It was scary. I was also on, you know, LiveJournal, LJ, and any pictures that I had up of myself would get foul comments on them. 
he would be reaching out to friends and family members. Eventually, I did go to the police. It was Austin PD, and they said that because he was in Seattle and I was in Austin, there was a jurisdictional concern and there wasn't really anything that could be done about it. I very quickly came to understand that it was something that I would need to learn to live with, which contributed to my overall anxiety, overall depression, um, because it's really hard to live your life not knowing if, when, or how this unhinged person was going to show up. To be clear, you know, the, the thing that makes this type of abuse so challenging is not even necessarily the specific events of harassment. It's the time in between. When you're looking over your shoulder, when you're waiting for the other shoe to drop, I started really locking down all my social media. But every time I stuck my head up, he'd hit it. I had some Flickr photos, and he gets on Flickr, and he says, um, you know, how bloated and old I look. When I was doing roller derby, he said, you're too crazy and dull-witted to succeed. Fat, too. I posted, like, something on... Um, my knitting blog, and he says, your life has gone nowhere. You're a great, big, fat, cringeworthy train wreck. Knitting is even more pointless than, than running around in circles on roller skates. Super mean. It's like, I'm stupid, I'm overweight, I'm a failure. Mostly like about my looks and my intelligence. Rachel's attempts to tune Jason out proved useless, as he regularly created new accounts and used encrypted emails to continue attacking her. Rachel tried moving on with her life. After she and Lincoln ended their short-term romance, she met a new man and settled into a long-term relationship. But over the ensuing years, Jason continued to strike in escalating waves. It sort of feels like he would go through these cycles where he would, like, oh, I need to look look and see what Rachel's doing, and then would barrage, you know, would hit that until I was forced to turn off comments or go back underground or delete whatever it was, you know. I just didn't feel like I had any recourse. It did feel endless. Jason also found creative ways to make his attacks cut even deeper. At some point, he catches up to my new partner. And then I found out that he was also harassing my little sister, Esther. I was very upset that he was, like, involving people in this drama. Here's Rachel's sister, Esther. He started messaging me on MySpace. Your sister's a slut. Do you want to see naked photos of your sister, Rachel? I blocked him on MySpace, but he like immediately started harassing me on a lot of other platforms. Stuff about like me being stupid, um, me being fat, and he would just find a photo of me and make a comment on it. And it was, you could almost feel it coming, like it's been too quiet for too long. Like he's gonna pop his little 
shitty head up at some point soon. Then, more than a decade after the campaign had begun, Jason ups the stakes even more. In 2012, on Christmas, he sends the sexually explicit photos of me to my dad with the email title, your daughter is seriously sexually freaky. And then the, 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 the email says, Rachel loves pain, Rachel loves anal, Rachel is a freak. And he sends it to me and says, I think this is spam. Like, I don't know if he like didn't actually realize what he got or if he was trying to like make it less awkward. The duration of this harassment is unreal, but learning to live with it would soon no longer be an option. A change in circumstances would drive Jason to a far more chilling approach. I got like beyond um, how fat and unlovable I am to like, He's making threats now. Yeah. Threatening to kill my family. The escalation to physical threats was a frightening development in Jason's stalking campaign against Rachel Kay. And it was driven by two significant events just a few months apart. The first was set in motion by Rachel's desire to start a family of her own, a desire not shared by her partner at the time. We were together like eight years and he's the best, but he just didn't want to have any kids. So then we broke up and I was went out on the market like 40 years old and I want a baby like right now. I met Chris and he's just the greatest. Chris wanted to start a family as well but both learned it wasn't going to be easy. In 2011, I started a blog about my fertility journey. We were like going through IVF and of course, eventually he found it. He's saying, um, you are the very, very last woman on earth who should be trying to raise a child. Why do you want a Down syndrome baby covered in your genital herpes lesions? Your womb is a black grail of foulness. For the sake of the human race, please throw yourself down the stairs and miscarry. Your BMI and slug-like intelligence do not need to be reproduced. Rachel would try to tune out Jason's hateful attacks, as she had grown accustomed to doing over the last decade. And after two harrowing years of hopes and disappointments, her fertility efforts would finally pay off when she gave birth to a baby daughter. She was born in June of 2013, and she was like the most wanted child of all because it took us a very long, hard road to get her. Becoming a mom was the first of two events because it gave Jason a new target when Rachel's picture appeared in an online forum with her child. I'm on like a meetup, like meetup for Austin moms, and he says... um, Good glog, you look like Edith Massey, and your fugly-ass baby looks like Don Rickles. Bringing Rachel's child into all of this was crossing a major line. Her protective instincts immediately kicked in. I started Googling him, and I came across this surviving Jason Tumblr that was a collection of all sorts of uh, victims talking about their experiences. It was revelatory. And I had thought that 
it was just me and my sister and my family. You know, I didn't know that there were other people who are also in the same boat. Through that, I, connect, I contacted with Vanessa V and she was amazing. She was just like, hey, welcome to the club. That helped me realize this is not about me. Loved that, because then I was like, a huge weight came off. The online community Rachel Kay had found was already starting to band together against Jason's reign of terror. But the discovery that she wasn't alone came with another terrifying revelation. When I found all the other people, they had a lot more information about him, including his current whereabouts, which was, were also in Austin. He was living in town, which was upsetting. Jason's proximity to Rachel Kay would become critical when the second event occurred. In October of 2013, I was at home on maternity leave, and arson investigators came to my door to talk to me about this fire that someone had set to an abandoned car in Jason's front yard, and it had spread to the house. And when he was talking to the police, he gave them like a comprehensive list of all of us as potential perpetrators. So then they show up at my house because I'm the only person in Austin. Because of her address, Rachel was suddenly the prime suspect in the arson investigation. But now, emboldened by her new online community of support, she was ready to strike back against Jason. I'm like, come on in, I'm happy to talk to you about it. Like, here's all my documentation. Like, you know, I'm like, I wish it had been me. They were able to clear me by looking at my phone records of where my phone wasn't with GPS, I guess. And then also they were like, there's no way this woman who just had a baby went and tried to burn this guy's house down. I think he gave a fake name, like Juan somebody. Like he was not honest with the arson investigators about who he was. Everything they were learning about him made it sort of obvious why someone had burned this car. There was ample evidence that this was not a great person. We mentioned in our first episode that when police went to find Jason Christopher Hughes, he had already skipped town. But now, in his own mind, he had a reason to change his approach with Rachel Kay. I started getting emails from him that had photos attached, which were of... um, burned infants and basically like there's a plan in motion you better have really good fire insurance it was like wishing my death upon my children my child you know so it's like that was really the the worst he also was sending me my own address like he knows where I'm at so that was really terrifying, and it was especially terrifying for my husband. I've been sort of, eh, I've got the stalker, nothing to worry about. Then it became, how serious is this? He was like, we need to get a gun, we need to get, you know, he was exactly like, do we need to move? Rachel's husband, Chris, was enraged. I flipped out. It was very clear that this was, this guy was just super hostile and really dangerous. I wanted him dead. I really just wanted to kill him. You know, and he was 
threatening my family. I just wanted him gone, you know. Rachel's sister Esther was equally horrified. I was like, what sort of person goes onto Google and like Google's burnt baby photos? Like, who the fuck does that? <laughs> it's totally screwed up. Luckily, I did have really good support in that situation. But because before that, I really felt like I had invited it because of my decisions that I somehow was to blame. And I wasn't the only person. I know that one has been suicidal, has lost her livelihood. Then there's another who I think had lived with him and described, you know, sexual assault and being drugged. And that was extremely scary. Vanessa V gave me directions on what to do. That's where I met Detective Chow, and he was fantastic. I really felt like he wanted to help. I think I did file an official police report with Detective Chow. I did uh, work with him closely and provide to him all the documentation I had about my relationship with Jason. I'm curious to know really how many of us there are, you know, how, like, cause I know there are tons of people maybe who don't know that they're not alone, you know, who don't know that there's a whole army of us out there. That documentation would get passed on to the FBI, along with reports from Jason's other victims. And they would use it to start building a profile of this prolific cyber predator. Jason broke the mold in a lot of ways, but the more victims the FBI talked with, the more they were able to develop a plan that might lead to Jason's capture and end his reign of terror once and for all. Next time on Unraveled, The Stalker's Web. I thought he was really cool. I looked up to him. I didn't want to acknowledge that this person that I looked up to was actually doing some pretty horrible stuff. He'd go in the computer lab and he would just record people logging in and get their credentials that way. I'd listen to him, you know, gleefully describe emailing naked pictures to people's employers. He's created this magical framework for the world that he lives in. If you didn't show loyalty to him, he'd go after you. You are to be erased. One day I realized I was on Jason's to erase list. Unraveled is produced by Joke Productions for ID. The executive producers of this podcast are Joke Finsoon, Yagio Messina, and Jeff Kuntz, along with myself, Billy Jensen, and Alexis Linkletter. The executive producer for ID is Tim Bainey. Additional producing and writing is by Eric Smith. Our editor is Aaron Frecia. The music and score that you have heard in this podcast is by Biagio Messina, Dave Pellman, and the Alibi and Nimble Libraries. I want to extend a special thanks to Rachel Kay for sharing her story with us. If you or someone you know has a story to share about Jason Christopher Hughes, you can email us confidentially at unraveltips at gmail.com. You can also visit survivingjason.com for more information and helpful resources on cyberstalking. Make sure to check for episode three next week, wherever you get your podcasts. It helps a lot when you subscribe, rate, review the podcast that you enjoy. 
Thank you for listening and for your support. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus. Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.